today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcanta. Paul says, I want you to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He qualifies his command to love with the example of Christ. And so how are husbands commanded to love? Well, they're first commanded to love sacrificially as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This means that husbands, there there are no lengths to which you should not go to love your wife, period. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he's strong to save. Open God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. When people hear the word submission, it gives them a sour taste in their mouth. This is because of our flesh. We hate the idea of submission. Submission does not mean to agree, it means to obey even when you don't agree. Pastor Ricky will be teaching on the importance of the unique roles in marriage that wives and husbands are to play. When wives submit to their husbands and husbands love their wives, a beautiful picture of Christ and the church is reflected. Now here's Pastor Ricky in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 24 with our continuing study entitled Married in Christ. Submission to marriage is never only one party submitting. Hear this. When the woman, when the wife is, 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 when submission is brought up in relation to the wife, she is not the only one submitting. Biblically, every Christian is under authority, whether they're married or single or male or female. All are submitted to Christ and his word first and foremost. So that, that, that means that everybody, regardless of whether they're married or not, single or not, are submitted to Christ in his word. And practically, we are all submitted, Romans 13 says, to the governing authorities God had placed in our lives. So we're all submitted to the government that God has placed. So that means, guys, you're not only under the authority of Christ and his word, you're under the authority of the government that's placed there for your good and you're submitting and you should submit. That's why you need to file your taxes, right? It's practically important. Now, we are also submitted to the church as Christians, to the elders of the church, to the congregation of a church. That's why we, as human beings, when we join a church, we're giving the church permission to get in our face if we start doing damage to the cause of Christ. If we start living in a way that contradicts the teaching of Scripture, we're under authority. So when the the wife is, is encouraged to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. We're going to talk about what that means, but it doesn't mean she is the only one submitting, which practically, this is fourth, submission to marriage is never an excuse for abuse. Abuse from one party to the other, but often in our culture from the husband to a wife is a perversion of everything in the Bible. And this is where this comes into play. If a woman is being abused, and even if you're here today and somehow you're being abused, you should immediately call on the authorities in your husband's life, starting with the police. Now talk about your husband being under authority. This is real practical, okay? It means if you're being abused, God's put authorities in his life so that you call them and bring them to bear to exercise their God-given role. Practically, if your husband is in a pattern of unrepentant sin, it means you talk to your pastors. 
You talk to the church. You, you, you bring the church to bear to try to help your husband. It means that the guy, if a guy is abusive, he needs to submit to his government and submit to his church and submit to individual Christians that come to him with the teaching of Scripture. So submission in marriage is never, never, never an excuse for abuse. And this is hard, guys, because in general, America is a culture of business, okay? And our conceptions of roles often come from business. And we think of differing roles in relationship to that as as a CEO and an employee. We're used to org charts where the people at the top of the org chart are paid better and are, let's face it, to the company more valuable, right? If if for some reason that person at the top of the org chart's having an off day, then the business shuts down for a little while. And so when we think of submission or differences in value or differences in role, we think, hey, then you must be talking about a CEO kind of business relationship. The husband's the CEO, the wife's the employee. And they're different in value and different in role. But that's not true. Because according to scripture, there is no difference in value despite there being a difference in role. Now, this is not a good example, but I don't have a good human example of this. But a better example would be if you're at a law firm, it's not one person's the head lawyer and one person's a paralegal. In a law firm, you'd have partners, but one partner is the senior partner and kind of has steering duties in the company. I mean, in the firm. But they're all equal in value and probably equal in pay in many cases. Or a board where all are equal, but there is a chairman. And, and that's not exactly, don't, don't hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying your, you know, your marriage is like a boardroom or like a law firm. I'm, I'm trying to get at this, that there is no difference in value, but there is a difference in role. One commentator says this, and he answers the question about whether Paul was just conforming to cultural practices. P.T. O'Brien, a commentator, says this, they all have their own calling before the Lord, which is responsible, honorable, and important as that of a husband or parent or, or master. The Lord to whom everything is done is impartial. And slaves and masters, for example, are equally responsible. Meaning bond servants, as we'll talk about next week. Those in authority have different roles, but they are not better roles. The value, dignity, of, or worth of the members of a Christian household in one position is no less than that of those in the other position. So, with that in mind, let's jump into the second question. Okay, so if... if Differing roles glorify God. They allow us to live our marriages upward and outward. How can a husband live his marriage upward and outward? And I may only get to this, but that might be okay. Notice that the husband is not, listen to this. This is so good, guys. The husband is not exhorted to exercise his authority. You think that based on, okay, the wife, you know, be submitted to your own husbands, that the first thing for the husband to do is, okay, husbands, do, you know, exercise your authority. No, what, what he's exhorted to do as a husband is actually to exercise his love. And actually, the command of the husband may seem, okay, well, that seems easy. I mean, just the wife has to do these things and you're just commanded to love, you know? It's just, you're like, hey, that sounds easy, you know? 
And hey, you're going to need to do this, but, but I'm loving you, you know? I, 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 I bought you flowers, and so that's pretty much the rest of my, my role, and I'm good. Love is not in this passage spoken of primarily as an emotion, but primarily as an exercise of will, okay? Paul says, I want you to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He qualifies his command to love with the example of Christ. And so how are husbands commanded to love? Well, they're first commanded to love sacrificially as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This means that husbands, there there are no lengths to which you should not go to love your wife period. The example of Christ is that he loved his wife even to his own death. So that means all, hey, this is too hard for you. This is, that's off the table because Christ loved his wife even to death, period. You're having a hard day. I feel for you. You're tired. I feel for you. Your wife's not being the easiest person in the world to deal with. I feel for you, but it doesn't change the command to you to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Your standard is that Jesus Christ bled and died on a cross for you. And you know what your role is in glorifying God upwardly and loving your wife outwardly? It means you take on the role of Christ. That means in the play, you're playing Jesus, man. In the redemption, in the gospel retelling that's, that's going on in your family and in your marriage, you get the role of Jesus, so you play Jesus. You're commanded to love your wife sacrificially, but you're commanded to love your wife, and the way I'm saying this is spiritually. Christ's goal is to make the church more and more holy, washing the church with his word. And the husband's leadership is to be spiritually focused. Husbands, the standard for your, your, your role in your life is not to put a roof over her head and food on the table. If that's your goal, you're, you need a new goal. Because the goal of Christ is to present the church to himself and to the universe as perfect and spotless. He loves her spiritually. So it's not enough that you pay the mortgage. You need to love your family and specifically your wife spiritually. Great, I'm glad you have a job. That's good. But are you leading and loving your wife in this area? You're to love your wife also equally. Paul says to love your wife as as their own bodies, as your own body. This means, you know, do you get cold? Your wife gets cold too. Do you get, do you like watching stuff that you like? Well, your wife likes that too. Do you enjoy a break from taking care of the kids? Your wife loves that too. Paul is saying you're to love your wife equally with yourself. It's not like, hey, love yourself first and then whatever's left over, kind of give that to your wife. You're to love her as your own body. So do you get annoyed when your spouse doesn't communicate about things? Well, so does your wife. (laughs) This means the things that you think for yourself a hundred times a day, you're to rethink for your wife. And last, constantly, All these commands aren't for date nights or special times or anniversaries. They are 100% all the time, every day, because that is how Christ loves his church. The husband's 
whole orientation is to wake up every day asking the question, how do I glorify God in my marriage and how do I love my wife well? Because, guys, I'm a husband and I feel this. I feel my inadequacy here because the first thing that I ask when I wake up is how am I feeling and what do I want to do today? And the gospel reorients us and reminds us that Jesus Christ died for you and has placed you in this retelling of the gospel so that your role that you take on, you enter wardrobe every morning, husbands, and you take on the role of Jesus and you want to do a good job glorifying God upwardly and loving your wife outwardly. And briefly, we're going to give some time to the next two, but I just want to give an example of this first thing here. And I want to give some encouragement to the men. Guys, if you rightly understand this passage, the bar is far higher for you than any commands given to your wife. You're never to go to this passage and somehow use it as a club to tell your wife, well, I, I get to make the decision here because this is what it says. You're to go to this passage every day And ask the question, am I laying down my life for my wife in the way that Jesus laid down his life for me? You should feel the weight of this. This is not, guys, this is is hard for us, but this is not a suggestion. It's not a bonus. It's a command. It should weigh on us as men. It's okay, we're designed to bear it. That's the good news. But it should weigh on us. In a culture of irresponsibility, it should weigh on us as men. And guys, when this is happening, it is such a joyful thing. The other day, Jen and I had dinner with our friends Neil and Julia. And I loved being with them just because I like hanging out with them. But it was so awesome because it had been a while since I was over for their house at dinner. And I love this, that, that before they eat dinner, uh, his kids, Neil and his two boys, he's got two little clone boys, and um, he and the clones sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And they sing this as their prayer before they eat. And I know, Neil, man, I know he's in a master's degree program. He's got a demanding job. And I thought he, he worked on that. And that kind of care and attention should be the husband's orientation to, to, to upward, to, to ask the question, Lord, how can I glorify you today? And to look at his family and specifically at his wife and say, how can I love her and my family today? I'm so psyched that that second row is empty today because Lenny is gone taking his wife to San Antonio for an anniversary getaway. I love that because Lenny's, and when, every time I talk to him in the last two weeks, Lenny like brought it up. You know, he's like psyched about it. I love that. You know why? Because that's a guy. He's not a perfect husband. Zeal's not a perfect husband. But he's, he's thinking and planning ahead. How can I glorify God as I love my wife? And it takes financial planning. It takes practical planning. It takes finding people to watch the kids. It takes a bunch of logistics to be able to love your wife. And I love, and when you see that, isn't there something in your heart that goes, yes, that is the way that Jesus loves his church. That's what we're meant to be, men. 
Now, very briefly, I'm going to hit these next two. But briefly, I just want to give a couple comments to how the wife can live her marriage upward and outward and how the single can do the same thing. Let me just say this about the wife's role. In the drama of redemption, the wife plays, the wife has a leading role and she plays the church. And it's no statement of her value. It's her part in the play. And so wives are to to follow the leadership and support the leadership of their husbands in a way that points to Christ and the church. And Paul dives into this a bit further into these roles by saying that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And that Christ leads the church sacrificially and lovingly and he's working for the good of the church, which is what the husband is supposed to do. And the wife's response is is that as her husband initiates an image of the love of Christ, she joyfully follows and supports that picture. And we see this a little bit better when we go back to uh, Eve's role in Genesis. The first woman, the first wife, her role is is to be a helper fit for Adam. And the word helper means literally in the Hebrew, somebody who brings strength where it's lacking. Kostenberger, an Old Testament scholar, says this, the woman is placed alongside the man as his associate. Her role is distinct from the man's, yet unique and exceedingly significant. While assigned to the man as his helper and thus placed under his overall charge, the woman is his partner in ruling the earth for God. So Ephesians 5 emphasizes sort of the the one side of the woman's role, which is to come alongside and support and, and, and be a help to her husband as he leads the family. There should be an active strength that comes from every wife in the church as she supports her husband. There's there's a reason that in Proverbs 31, the picture of biblical womanhood is not passive, okay? Have you ever read Proverbs 31? It's not that the wife is sitting around just sort of like twiddling her thumbs waiting for the husband to do something so that she can bring strength and and kind of submit and, and support him. Just sort of like, well... I would, but, you know, he hasn't done anything lately. She is out there, man. She's, she's helping the family. She's, I mean, she's doing crazy stuff like buying and selling wools and fabrics and things. And her husband, it seems like her husband is the slacker in Proverbs 31 because he's over at the city gate arguing politics and she is like holding it down. I mean, she's balancing the checkbook. She's investing their money, right? I mean, she's the one on Investopedia looking up stocks to buy and she's buying and selling and she is actively looking at where in her marriage, in her family, strength is needed, and she comes alongside and brings that strength. That is an exceedingly valuable and beautiful role. And here's what's amazing. The wife is a strong partner in marriage, but she uses her strength to support her husband and not undermine him. As the, as the husband is called to be the spiritual leader of the home, the wife is to come alongside him and continue in that direction. This is not a perfect illustration, but in the same way that Jesus Christ begins and initiates the work of building the church, the Spirit comes alongside and continues that work. That's what marriage is to be, and it can look different in different seasons. You know, when we got married, uh, Jen had a better job than me and much more responsibility than I did. Um, we both worked for churches. Jenna's worked for churches longer than I have still. Um, 
When we got married, that when we got engaged, I was digging out sprinkler heads in the backyard of the church, and Jen was managing conferences or events that range between hundreds to thousands of people. And so it was, it was just, it was like, if you looked at us, you, you think, well, is that really what Ephesians 5 is talking about? Yes, it's exactly what Ephesians 5 is talking about. And I loved that she was smart and capable. And when I went to pastor's college, she worked the whole year for a church to pay our way through that year of school. I didn't bring in, I don't think, a cent. Actually, I, no, I did some writing jobs, which totaled like a, couple, like a few hundred dollars, right? Which, it's not gonna, we're not gonna be able to live on that. We wouldn't even be able to like live in a trailer for like $300 in Maryland. And she saw where we needed strength in our marriage and she brought strength. And yet she still supported my spiritual leadership in the home. And now she mostly stays home and takes care of our toddler and our uh, next one on the way. And she's still my partner. And I love that. So wives, do not see your role as any less valuable or significant than your husband. You get to play a leading role in the drama of redemption that, that speaks to everyone around you. So play your role well. And last, I just want to end by asking this question. How can a single live their life upward and outward? Let me just say this. This trajectory of life being lived upward and outward cannot start the day you get married. If you assume that on your wedding day, somehow your inward trajectory will suddenly flip and you'll just be this loving, God-glorifying person I hate to break it to you, but that's not going to actually happen. The best thing you can do if you want to be married, um, even if you're never married, is to do what we're all called to do, to live your life loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. And that means protecting the picture of marriage. It means, as Hebrews 13, 4 says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. It means protecting God's gift of marriage and sexuality. But it also just applies to practical things. It means on Friday night when it's hard and you really wish you had somebody to go on a date with or you see one of your married friends post a, a picture, a cute selfie on Facebook at some, you know, at some cool restaurant and you think with every fiber of your being, I wish I had somebody to go to crave with me so I did not sit in a booth by myself. When you think that, friends, it's okay. It's, it's okay that it's hard, but it's an opportunity for you to live your life, to begin to build your marriage by living life upward and outward, by seeking to ask, what can I do to glorify God with my evening since I've got it free? Or what can I do to love others? That orientation, friends, will set you up for success. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong in By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These verses from Ephesians speak to who we are in Jesus and how we became one of his. Pastor Ricky will be taking us through the book of Ephesians, seeking the answer to the question, who am I? For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. Sometimes it is just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. We also encourage you to follow the Cross of Grace Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP, where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in and please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio.